We're kicking off a brand new series called Meaningless. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. The series is not meaningless. I believe it's gonna be the best sermon series you've ever heard. It's gonna add such value to your life, but it is called Meaningless. And as I was prepping for this weekend, it reminded me of a conversation I had with my oldest son uh, quite a while ago. In fact, several, several months ago, we were really trying to lean hard into the chores around the house, right? We, we said, there's some things that you get an allowance for, above and beyond, but there's some things that what we use in our house is because you're a hoss, you have to do that. Just part of it. You're not going to get paid for it. It's part of being in the family. You just have to do certain things. And so we're trying to instill that work ethic into each of our kids, get them on the chores and everything. And Connor asked me a question, my oldest, asked me a question in the midst of me kind of helping him, helping him navigate his chores and everything. He asked me this question that legitimately shook me to the core. So I'm like, I'm pretty good at answering questions, right? I mean, whether it's from my kids or from any of you, I mean, I've answered questions all about theology, spirituality. My kids have asked me, well, how is like God three, but only one? Like, I can answer that question. I feel great about answering that question and baptisms and all these different things. This question, however, when my six-year-old asked me, I said, ah, like in my head, I'm freaking out because I'm like, I don't have a great answer for him. So here we are, working on one of his chores. He looks up to me, just as innocent as can be, and says, Dad, why do I have to make my bed? <laughs> and I freaked out. Because as I'm helping him make his bed, explaining how this works, and then he asked me the why question, in my head I'm thinking, I have no clue why you have to make your bed. I've been wrestling with that my whole life. But here my son is asking me, and I feel the need to have a great, reasonable answer. So I keep my cool. I kept my cool, man. And I looked at him, and I said, son, here's why you have to make your bed every day. Because as you know, some people, they come over to our house. We have people at our house, and it's important that people don't see our messes. So we have to clean up our rooms, and we make our beds so, so our house looks nice when people come over. And he was processing that as we we're finishing making the bed. He's processing and he looks up a little confused and says, but dad, you and mom are the only ones that ever come in my room. I said, that's, that's a great point there, Connor. Um, so then I'm starting to think through. I was like, I need a better answer. I need a better answer. I said, okay, how about this one? You know, we all have different jobs in the house and, and some of them we just all decide to do together. So even like me and your mom, like we even, we have to make our beds. So therefore you and all the other kids, you guys have to make your beds too. It's kind of a family thing. And he didn't even pause on this one. He didn't skip a beat. He looked straight up at me and said, but dad, you don't always make your bed. And I'm like, okay, enough's enough. No more questions. No more conversation. Make your bed because it makes your mom happy. And end of story. Let just... Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> good, good, good guy talk. All right. And I like was sweating bullets during that whole conversation. But here's, here's what made me think of that is whether it's making your bed or it's doing what I did yesterday. Would you like to know what my Saturday included yesterday? I'll tell you because you really want to know. I edged our front yard. You know what I'm talking about? When the little grass starts to creep over into your driveway and God forbid someone sees that grass on your driveway, said the HOAs. I had to edge my driveway. But guess what I'm gonna to have to do next Saturday? I'm gonna to have to edge my driveway again. 
Just like my son's going to have to make his bed again, and we're going to have to do laundry again. We're going to have to mow the yard again. You notice we get in that kind of cycle where we begin to ask this question, what's the point? What's the point? Dad, what's really the point of making my bed? I'm going to sleep in it again tonight. What's the point of so many of these aspects of our life? Because they don't feel very meaningful, do they? In fact, they feel very meaningless. Like, what's the point? I think a lot of us desire to have meaning in our lives, for our life to be full of meaning, purpose, and intentionality, yet we find ourselves in this place where we say, well, what's the point? Is anything really good coming of this? Is this really making a difference? Does it really mean anything? That's what meaningful means. Does this have any purpose is what we're really asking. That's the question I want us to ask this entire month going through this series. What's the point? What's the point? And instead of just throwing our hands up and saying there is no point, I want us to discover what the point is, how to turn something that may seem meaningless, turn it into something very meaningful. King Solomon was asking that exact same question. What's the point? What's the point? King Solomon, if you don't know him, he's the son of King David, David and Goliath, David. He's now king over an entire nation, has more money than he knows what to do with. In fact, was given more wisdom than anyone else. Really cool story you read about in the Old Testament. God comes to Solomon and says, I'll give you whatever you want. I will grant you one request. And Solomon thinks about it, ponders it, and comes back and says, God, I would like wisdom, more wisdom than anyone else. God was pleased with his response, with his request, so God gave him just that. More wisdom than anyone else. So here, the most powerful man, more money you know what to do with more wisdom than anyone who ever was or ever would be, other than Jesus. Here he was asking that question. What's the point? It seems like all I'm doing is just meaningless. What's the point? We desire meaning, yet we find ourselves in just the ongoing meaninglessness of life. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be studying through Ecclesiastes, which is what King Solomon wrote. What we think he had done is towards the end of his life, most likely that's when he wrote Ecclesiastes. And it was kind of this look back on his life and his king and said, here's what I've observed, here's what I've learned, here's what I've discovered. And that's really where we wanna hone in. What you learned, but more so what you discovered through this life and obviously through the lens of all of his wisdom. And you're gonna notice something today and as we go through this month. You're gonna notice two perspectives that Solomon brings to life. The perspective on one side of everything that's temporary, everything that's worldly, everything that we make ourselves busy with, and then he contrasts it with the things of God, the things of eternity, things that matter, things that are meaningful and purposeful. And he kind of gives this, this back and forth and you feel the tension even of is this something of this world and temporary? Will it just pass or is it something that's going to last because it's of God? So be looking for that tension today in this month and here's where we'll pick it up, Ecclesiastes chapter one. If you're still looking for Ecclesiastes, it's right after Proverbs. So like go middle of your Bible and go over just a few. Here's what King Solomon begins to write. Chapter one, the words of the teacher, he calls himself teacher a lot throughout this. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Here it is, verse two. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is gonna be the best sermon series you've ever heard this month. <laughs> it's all meaningless. What's the point? Verse three, he elaborates on what he has observed. What does anyone gain from all their labors? At which they toil, they work hard under the sun. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes. 
ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And if you were to keep going on and on, you would see him continue to elaborate all to that point of what is the point, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now to this point, this is everything he has observed. And again, as a king, with his wisdom, with his wealth, with his stature, that that carries some weight because of all that he has seen. Now, a couple other things that help us know King Solomon just a little bit more, not only from scripture, but it's great when archaeology brings to light elements of truth and fact throughout what we even read in the Bible. And it's really cool when you see the Bible and archaeology kind of match up together and say, oh, okay, that's exactly what that meant or that's what that looked like. And what's really neat is this has been very recent, just in the last few months, archaeologists have uncovered an obviously an old painting of King Solomon, at least who they think to be King Solomon. So you don't just have to read about him. We really get a good picture of who he was. So let me show you what King Solomon probably looked like according to archaeology. Here's a good picture of him. There he is. Dead on, isn't it? With that picture in mind, now go back and rethink chapter one. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. The sun rises and then it sets and tomorrow it will rise again. Everything's meaningless. You hear it, don't you? (laughs) It's just what an Eeyore of a guy. And we all have Eeyores in our life. That's okay. Solomon was one of them. So he takes in all of that he has seen and witnessed and observed and says, what's the point? But it's not enough for him to just observe it. He wants to experience it. Again, he's trying to discover, surely there's meaning somewhere in life. Surely there's something in life that is not pointless and meaningless, but I can add value, I can add purpose and intentionality and meaning to my life. So he switches his view in chapter two. It's no longer, here's what I've seen and observed. Now he's like, I'm gonna find out for myself. I'm not gonna take your word for it, I'm gonna experience myself. And remember, this is a man with unlimited resources. A man that didn't have a palace, he had palaces. I mean, this man, more wealth than we can imagine, so he had every resource at his fingertips. And here's what he says in chapter two, verse one. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, what has meaning, what has purpose, what will actually lead and make a difference. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. There's there's the good old Eeyore we know. Laughter is meaningless. (laughs) And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. In other words, there's gotta be something that we can do that adds meaning. There's gotta be something that we can be part of that adds meaning to our lives. Now you can keep reading through chapter two and you'll see that he builds great buildings with just such a wise mind and architecture as a hobby of his, he builds these huge parks and gardens. He tries to obtain as much as he can. He tries to build as much as he can. He tries to do and see and experience as much as he possibly can. He begins to sum it all up in verse nine. He says, I became greater by far 
than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my toil, for all my hard work. He's about to say, now everything I've seen, but now everything that I've done and everything I've experienced, he said, here's my reward. Here's what I discovered, verse 11. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Say it with me, everything was meaning. No, no, you gotta do the Eeyore version. Meaningless, that, much better, much better. Very depressing, great job. Everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So even after everything that he experienced and tried himself, still meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So what's the point See, he's painting a picture, a very depressing, negative picture of what our lives often feel like and look like, don't they? So if this is our lives, meaningless, meaningless, big old sad face, there we go. What's the point? And we think through not just what Solomon suggested, what he observed and experienced, begin to think through your entire life as well. Think through the the work that you put in. Right, The money that you spend, the money that you save, the debt that you accumulate. Hang on. There we go. <laughs> One more. The relationships that we have, right? The, the investment we put into people, the, the time we spend on people. You think through our families. You think through our spouse and, and what we invest in them, our parenting. That's a lot more than the debt even. There we go. You think through our work and our jobs. You think through what we put into our communities. You think what you put into bettering yourself, growing yourself, staying healthy as best you can. There's so much that we continue to put our life, put in our life. The investments, the work, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of energy, isn't it? We put so much in our lives and then we're finally like, oh, it's the end of the day. It's exhausting, isn't it? Everything. If you start to really look at your days and your weeks, and if you really started to quantify all that you do for all the different people in your life, it's a lot. So you finish your day, you feel like you've wrapped up the day, your head hits the pillow, and you're like, oh man, surely something I did today was of value. Surely something today was meaningful. Surely something today meant something to someone. But it's interesting because we're still exhausted, aren't we? We're still exhausted because of everything that we put in, hoping that there might be some small piece of meaning. But in reality, you wake up the next morning and you're just as exhausted because you've got to start all over. Yep. You're welcome, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth rows. <laughs> you start all over, don't you? Everything that you had just worked for, everything that you had invested and put in is now gone. And you gotta start all over, and it's exhausting. Literally, it feels like the bottom drops out on your life time and time again to just wake up and, well, I guess we've gotta do the same thing over again. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything 
is meaningless. Now, I'm so thankful that Solomon didn't just end there because that, be, that would be difficult to preach for four weeks. Just everything's meaningless. <laughs> he does turn a corner. He spends a lot of time explaining what meaningless looks like, what it feels like. But he does begin to turn the corner a little bit and says, but it doesn't have to be that way. Big smiley face. There is meaning that we can find. There is meaning that we can add to our lives. It doesn't have to be meaningless, but we can find a life that is full of meaning. And he turns that corner and he discovers it in verse 24 and 25. Verse 24, here's what he says. See if you can catch the shift, the difference between the meaningless and the meaningful. Verse 24, people can do nothing better. That's interesting. That doesn't sound like the Eeyore we've come to know and love in the past few minutes. He's going to say something positive. People can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil, in their hard work, in all those things that you put in your life. He says, this too I see is, now we're used to him saying meaningless at this point, but it changes. This too I see is from the hand of God. Oh, now God's entered the picture. Verse 25 solidifies it for me. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? What a great rhetorical question. What was the difference there? Did you catch the key word? It's a who. For without him, who can find meaning? Who can find joy? See, what's interesting is what goes in our life for the most part doesn't change all that much. And even what Solomon is saying here, he doesn't say, oh, and I've changed everything of what I do. No, he says, no, all that hard work, all the toil, all the, the relationships and the jobs and the communities and the money, all those things that we continue to do. All the people we pour into, all the hard work that we're investing in our lives and in the lives of people around us are often... The same as what we invest over here, but there is a difference. What we put in our lives may not be that difference. The difference is at the end of the day, you say, whew, day's done, that was a lot. But there's something different because it has meaning and you made a difference and you recognize that there's purpose and intentionality behind it. So then tomorrow when you wake up, oh, you're not starting all over again. If you've ever heard the phrase that Jesus talked about, regarding abundant life, life to the full, living life to the full, it's impossible to obtain that and live that when you're emptied out every single day. He's just constantly trying to do more and more and more and refill and refill and refill. That overflowing joy that you hear us pastors talk about is when this happens, where when for some way and in some how that we're gonna see in a moment that God is able to keep all of those things in our lives but it now has meaning, we're not bottomed out every time. That's where it begins to fill up and then overflow with joy. If you wanna live abundantly, a life of meaning and a life of purpose, having the bottom of your life dropped out every single day, every single week, just what's the point? What's the point is not the way to live it. So what's the difference? Right? It's exactly what he discovered here in verse 24 and 25. The meaningless is obviously without God. The meaning full life, the difference is what's holding it all together, isn't it? That's the difference. The difference is there's something on the bottom here that's keeping it all together. 
Understand, it's, it's not just adding God to your life. It's not just saying, oh, yes, meaningful life means I add God to my life. It's not saying, oh, I got to make sure I do church today. Let's add God. No, it's saying, God, you're holding it all together. Because without him, there's nothing holding us together. Our lives feels void and empty. In fact, that word meaningless literally means void. It means vanished, mere breath, if you want to take it literally. It doesn't last. It is temporary. So it always bottoms out. And you're left just trying to fill and fill and fill and fill and fill, and you're never full of meaning. So we could say that the meaningless life is doing everything without God. That's what Solomon was doing here, wasn't he? He says, I can do anything, I can obtain anything, I can spend anything, I can have anything. But he did it without God, and he said, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, because he did it without God. Then he discovered, and he changed it, and he said, well, no, meaningful is it's not having everything because Solomon had everything. So it's not about how much you have, but it's having God throughout everything. No matter what comes your way, it's no matter what situation. It's been a tough week, not just for our country. It has been a very tough week for our individual community this last week. How do we handle that? Sometimes the things that get put in our life, we don't want in our life. And when we try to do it on our own, we are stuck trying to figure it out on our own and hold it all together on our own. And you know how well we do that. Instead of saying, here's what got put in my life this week. God, I don't know what to do with it. I'm glad it's not me that's holding this all together. I'm glad it's not me that's responsible for keeping it all together. God, it's, it's got to be you that literally holds my life together. Meaningless is without God. Meaningful, it's not just with God, it's he is your everything. Colossians says it this way. For in him, talking about Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. You get the picture? It says all things have been created through him and for him. Now let's get real. Here's what it means for us. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him, in Jesus, all things hold together. Do you know what is included in all things? Your life, all things, everything. It's not just their life. It's not just these lives. It's no, my life is held together by God, the creator of the universe, where all things were created by him and for him. He is holding my life together. I should not be taking that responsibility. Because when I do, this is what happens. Time and time again, we just get emptied out. And we feel like we've got to put more and more in there, which makes us more and more tired. And at the end of the day, we say more and more, what's the point? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Unless God is holding it all together for you. Not just a part of your life, but your life. Truly, the foundation of your life. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to ask, we've asked the question, what's the point? We're starting to answer that and we will over the next three weeks. I want us today to ask the question, so what does that look like? Right? I, we know what this looks like. I don't need to teach you how to live a life for yourself. We're very good at that. 
How do we live a life where it's not just adding Jesus to our life, but it's letting him be the foundation of our life, where he is our everything? What does that look like? How do we begin to move in that direction? So let me give you two ideas, and these are for me personally. These are not the only ways to do this, but at least in my life, here's where I tend to go. Here's how I filter my life through these two things so that I do my very best, not perfect, but I try to do my best to make sure that Jesus is the foundation of my life. So here's the first thing I would tell you. Tie the Bible to every part of your life. Tie God's word to every single part of your life. So often we're good at saying, oh, that's for them. That's a good verse for him or for her. But to make it your own, it says, no, this is for me. And it ties it to every part of your life. Let me help you understand it maybe a little bit of a different way. This is a book of mine. Uh, if you were at my house, you would, with our made beds, you would see this book on our bookshelves. At least the made beds half the time, give or take. And it, you would see it and you probably wouldn't think anything of it. It's just another book. Whether you've read it or not, heard of it or not, it really wouldn't mean anything to you. Uh, if you were to see it sitting up here before the service started, you would see a book and say, okay, whatever. If you were to see it lying on the ground, you would probably glance at it and then step over it. If you were to see it at a library, you wouldn't give it a second thought because it doesn't really have much meaning to you whatsoever. But outside of God's word, this has one of the most meaning, this is one of the most meaningful things in my life, personally speaking. We all have those things, right? Something that means something to you because of who gave it to you or what it reminds you of, what it represents. And for me, this is one of those most meaningful things in my life. If you were to open it up, you would see on, not the first page, but on, inside on the cover, you wouldn't see my name, you would see a different name on there. It's the name of Phil, same last name, Phil Haas, with a Wichita, Kansas address and a phone number. See, this was my dad's book when he first started at one of his first churches in Wichita, Kansas, before I was even around. And somebody had given him this book and it meant a lot and he's got his own story. But in a very critical and meaningful time in my life, my dad handed me this book. In a moment where I needed not just the words on the pages greatly, I needed a dad greatly. You've been in those moments where your story and somebody else's story intersect in a way that you can only say it was a God thing. And my dad's been that for me on multiple occasions, but I'll never forget when he handed it to me. And it's been a constant conversation ever since. So when this sits on my bookshelf, it's not, oh, that's a book. It reminds me of the conversations, reminds me of the stories that my dad and I share, reminds me of the encouragement he gave me, the moment I needed it more than anything else. If you were to turn to the very last page of the book, you would see a prayer that I wrote, not a prayer that I'm going to share with you. It's a prayer that's very meaningful to me personally. It's a prayer that I keep on the front of my heart and my mind literally all the time, so that I may never forget. It means a great deal to me because of what it reminds me of. May God's word do that for you in every part of your life. And I mean every part of your life. It's easy to go through all the things we have to do and we're not really sure why we do them or who we do them for. But can you take God's word and say, okay, God, help me tie this to everything I'm putting in my life. And when you add God's word to your life, guess what? It adds meaning to your life. A couple quick examples, again, for me personally. 
raising kids and parenting. I use Philippians chapter one, verse nine through 11. I've made that my prayer, not some great prayer that Paul prayed over a church in Philippi. I've made it my own and I've tied it to how I raise my kids. My relationship with Becky, my wife, Vision says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because we feel like it, but because of, because of what Jesus has already done in our lives and the commitment we've made to one another. I mean, you could go on and on and on through our work ethic, that's out of Colossians. For how I lead our church, that's Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. That in him, he can do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to him be the glory because of his faithfulness. Have you tied God's word to every part of your life? Or are we just doing things and hoping maybe it matters one day? Start there. Add God's word to every part of your life. Tie them together so it adds meaning to your life. That's the first one. Second thing I would tell you is look at what God has given you and ask how you can use it for him. Take something that he has given you, something that you're already doing, something that you already have, use what you have, but for him. You see, when we use what we have and we do it for our own purpose, that becomes quite meaningless. When you take what you've been given by God, remember what we read in Colossians, everything was created by him and for him. When we take that literally, which we should, we say, okay, God, here's what you've given me. The gifts You've given me the relationships in my life. You've given me finances. You've given me resources. You've given me a beating heart and breath in my lungs. I'm going to use it for you. Oh, it becomes very meaningful because it's now with, it's tied to his purpose. So look for those. Ask yourself the question, God, what have you given me? How can I use it for you? The relationships, the environments, your work environment, your work situation, your coworkers, the people that you live with, your church family, your forever family through CR, you find a way to take this and you use it for God and it becomes very meaningful. Last thing I want to leave you with. It's a, it's a question that Jesus actually posed. It's kind of a rhetorical question. It's a, it's a great question for us to begin to ask ourselves. And here's what he began to ask. He says, so what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Man, that's a question we need to ask. What do you gain? What do you benefit if you have everything? If I've got everything, but I don't have him as my foundation, what's the point? And Jesus' point is you lose your soul in the process. So I'm not suggesting that we change and stop all of these things that we do. And we have responsibilities, we have a lot to do, right? You don't need one more thing to do. So I'm not suggesting just adding more things to do. I'm suggesting, based on Solomon and what we read in the New Testament, let Jesus be the one that holds your life together. That will bring meaning to what seems like a meaningless life. It gives you purpose, and it's the point, isn't it? That he is your everything. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you'll just close your eyes right where you're at, I wanna give you a moment to take advantage of maybe some next steps that need to happen. Or maybe you have just been plowing away or to use Solomon's word, toiling over and over and over. You've been working so hard. And even right here as we sit, you're thinking, what's the point? You might even be saying, why am I even sitting here? <laughs> what's the point of a Sunday morning over and over again? What's the point of waking up tomorrow morning? What's the point? Time and time again, 
What does it look like for you to take that next step where Jesus is holding your life together? Take a moment and make the most of that conversation between you and the Lord. Jesus, you are our everything. There's so much that we're currently doing, so much that we need to do, so much that we're responsible for doing. And and at least for the conversation today, it's really not about prioritizing those things. It's getting to the root of it all and asking the question, are are you our everything or not? Are you just another ping pong ball we have to add to our box for the day? Or are you holding everything together? Jesus, may we have you holding our entire lives in your hands. That everything we do is for you. That everything we do is to glorify you. That everything we do, we tie to your word. That you are what brings meaning in our lives. Not anything that we accomplish, not anything that we obtain, not anything that we can ever do on our own. A meaningful life comes you and we are meaningful to you because of who we are not because of what we've done do or ever would do we cannot earn or deserve your love we're meaningful to you because we are your kids so Jesus may you hold our entire lives in your hand may we give you our all add meaning and purpose to our lives in the ways that we can never do on our own may we live for you in everything that we do In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read one last passage for you as you get ready to head out. To sum it all up, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whatever you're about to do next, instead of doing it for yourself, do it for God. When you wake up tomorrow and you got a lot to do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, May it have meaning because God is at the very foundation of it.